Good morning, Gospel Hope. It's such a blessing to be here with you today and worship once again and enjoy the fellowship and actually the opportunity to get to know more of you. It is a blessing to be here with my wife, Sara, and also to now have my brother-in-law and his wife, Megan, and their kids joining Gospel Hope and looking forward to plant Gospel Hope in Spanish. So we'll pre we appreciate your prayers for them as they adapt to Atlanta and as the Lord continues to bless them as they go through training and eventually develop that core group that will eventually plant Gospel Hope. We bring news from Manuel Sanchez back in the DR. It's such a blessing to have him finally. He arrived last week. He's adapting with Jenna and the kids, and they send warm greetings to all of you. I actually got a text from him this morning. Don't forget to let them know we miss you. We miss them, and, and uh, it's a blessing now to join with them. Finally, we've been praying and getting together all this last year with our team leadership to plan what's going to come now. We're launching Ciudad de Gracia, Iglesia Ciudad de Gracia in Santo Domingo in uh, January 2022. So pray for us. These pictures that you're seeing on the screen are part of the previous church that I'm actually right now transitioning from, the, uh, a, a church that the Lord led us to plant 18 years ago in a country rural side area called Pica Pica San Cristobal. Uh, thank you for your support as we are moving forward, uh, teaming with Manuel to go to the capital city of Santo Domingo to plant Grace City Church. Some of the pictures you're seeing here are some of the team leaders from Pacto de Gracia. Uh, some of them are staying behind, so we are training them to become uh, future pastors. So just pray that the Lord will bless pa Pacto de Gracia as we move forward to Grace City Church. Uh, we're looking forward for many of them taking over a lot of the ministries. Some of the pictures you've seen there show a lot of the efforts that we've done in outreach that includes an educational institute, an academy of theology, some sports outreach. You can tell Pastor Ryan there playing volleyball with us in one, uh, uh, one previous mission trip. And he actually crushed us in every game, in basketball, in volleyball. We didn't play soccer. Maybe we could have beat him in soccer. But maybe in next trip, if you guys come down too. So um, just pray. Pray for Leo in particular and Johnny, our two deacons, pastors in training, who will be taking over. We're excited. The church is already excited to see us move and be sent to plant this church in Santo Domingo because they're learning that it is about seeing the gospel being multiplied in church-planted churches all throughout the island of Dominican Republic. You may see in one of those pictures uh, the map of Dominican Republic where we have, we have 32 provinces. And the idea is Manuel and I, along with Pastor Karel and Roberto, who are also team part of the team leadership, we want to send groups to plant church planting churches in every province of Dominican Republic. So pray for us. We want to, by God's grace, uh, begin well with Grace City and eventually become a center of training. And maybe you've seen already the last picture there where uh, you see Manuel arriving last week. We picked him up at the airport and we had a time of fellowship, of prayer, and we actually say this is day one of Grace City. So please, just join and continue praying for us. Thank you for your faithful support. Uh, I go back to the moment where we were sitting with Pastor Ryan, and he was actually telling us, in order for you to do a vision nationwide, you need to go to Santo Domingo. 
that was the first moment when we started praying. And now here we are. And uh, we're looking forward to for what the Lord will have to do there in Santo Domingo in Dominican Republic. Thank you for partnering. Thank you for joining in what's going on in DR. And hopefully we'll see some of you in future mission trips. All right, this morning I have the privilege to speak to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 29 to 31, actually to verse 35. And I know you went through a series of 1 Corinthians, so I know I am not going to preach a long passage or series, but I'm going to focus on a uh, a small unit of thought that Paul is addressing in chapter 7. So I'd like to pray again and ask for God's grace as we come to His Word, depending on the Holy Spirit. Lord, this morning, we need You right now. We need Your grace once more. We are not content with the grace You gave us days before. We need You now. Please manifest a new, fresh unction of the Holy Spirit that will come over us, giving us understanding of your truth, and not only understanding, but also the ability, the power to respond to whatever you are calling us to do. Oh, Lord, I depend on the Holy Spirit. I cannot do anything on my own. So please be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When people know that they don't have long to live, For example, when they are diagnosed with a terminal illness, they tend to make a bucket list of things they want or have to do before they're gone. In other words, the impending reality of death and the end of this life causes them to feel an urgency about the most important things they need to do before they go, and they convince themselves that they must diligently work on accomplishing these things before death takes them by surprise. I particularly believe that one of the things God is doing with the world, but especially with His church during this pandemic, is showing us how fragile we are and how death and eternity are closer than we think. So I would like to ask you, in light of this, this morning, what things will you write down on your bucket list If you knew you only had a short time to live. If God was showing you with a sense of the fragility of life. And how death and eternity are so close in the horizon than we have usually imagined. In our passage of 1 Corinthians 7, 29 through 35. Paul tells us that the time has been shortened. And of course, Paul is not in a pandemic that we're going through, but Paul was deeply absorbed by the truth that death and eternity are just a step away from us, and therefore, that truth should dominate our decision-making about how we are going to use and how we're going to live this short time that we have left on earth. How you and I are going to devote this short time knowing that we don't have much left. Many of you have probably watched the award-winning movie called Schindler's, Schindler's List, right? A classic that most people have either heard or watched about a prosperous German businessman and Nazi party member named Oskar Schindler who lived during World War II from 1939 to 1945 
and Schindler strongly disagree with the Nazi Germans that considered themselves a superior race and treated the Jews as inferiors, even to the point of enslaving them and exterminating them. In 1939, Schindler began to convince Nazi officials to let him hire Jews from Krakow to work in his cookware factory. He did this with great diligence because he was so concerned about the Nazis not taking more Jews to the concentration camps. So Schindler was horrified to see the German murdering Jews. So one day, while watching the ashes of Jews who were being burned and incinerated, raining down from the sky like little flakes of snow from a nearby concentration camp, Schindler decided, along with his wife, to take all his wealth and all his workers and move his factory to the country of Czechoslovakia. Schindler sat down with his accountant, Stern, to make a list of all the Jewish prisoners who worked for him, and the list was gradually getting bigger and bigger from 450 to 650 to 850 to 1,200 names, all who will go with him to work in his new factory in exchange for a lot of money that he had to pay to the Nazis. By 1945, Schindler's factory was bankrupt due to the products made of poor quality. But at the end, Schindler didn't care about that. All he cared was about saving as many Jews as possible from death. So when the news came that war was over, Schindler sadly confessed to his accountant that he could have saved more Jews if he had only sold his car, or he had only sold his watch, or if he had only sold his pin with the Nazi symbol. At that moment, he wept with remorse for not having been able to do more. And the story of his life ended with a group of Jews making a commemorative ring for him, along with a letter from all his workers that he had saved, expressing profound gratitude. And that ring had engraved the following phrase, He who saves one life saves the whole world. He who saves one life saves the whole world. In the midst of war, death and eternity are closer to us than ever. And that's why Schindler focused so passionately and so diligently, not on making money, but on saving the lives of as many Jews as humanly possible. All other things lost their value in the face of the insurmountable value of saving lives of those who were being unjustly murdered. And even at the end, you look at Schindler weeping and deeply lamenting that he could have sold more of his possessions, more of his belongings to buy and save more Jews from death. And brothers and sisters, in God's common grace, Schindler's example becomes a tremendous parallel between him and all of us as believers. Life is short. And whether in the middle of a war or in the middle of a pandemic, death and eternity are at the door. And we as followers of Jesus Christ should be making a bucket list of what are the things that are most important that God values related to His eternal kingdom so that we may dedicate ourselves investing all we are and all we have for His cause. Schindler focused in saving lives. 
Everything else lost its value. And it should be the same with you and I. Gospel hope, life is short. We're here right now. And then we're gone. This world will end. This life will pass away. And only what we do for the kingdom of God will endure for eternity. So what will you do with the remaining time here on earth? How will you use and invest the short time you have left on earth? I want to share a message from this passage that I have entitled, Unattached to the World and Focused on the Kingdom. Unattached to the World and Focused on the Kingdom. There's always a main truth or big idea on every passage of Scripture. So I'm kind of getting into one passage where Paul has developed a lot of other truth and we have summarized one main truth and applied to our lives in the following way in the following way because the time of our earthly lives is shortened by the imminent reality of death and eternity you must detach yourself from this world and focus entirely on the kingdom of God if you read this passage that's exactly what Paul is aiming towards But when he wrote this letter, he was correcting some situations that were happening at this local church. Correcting is part of teaching. It's something that we as pastors have to continually and lovingly do as part of our calling, just as parents have to continually correct their children out of love. Paul received a letter from some of the brethren from Corinth, expressing their concern about issues they were facing. So the apostle writes this letter to address and correct The Corinthians' worldly conduct in light of the gospel and in light of their new identity as sinners who have been made holy positionally by faith in Christ and who were also called to grow in holiness because of their union with Christ. So in chapters 1 through 4, Paul confronts the problem of uh, their carnal divisions, a conflict that arose because of their own biblical exaltation of some human leaders above others. Some were claiming that they belonged to Paul, others to Apollos, others to Peter, others to Christ. So instead of relating themselves all as a family in Christ, they were fighting. They were dividing themselves as members of political parties. In chapters 5 and 6, Paul confronts yet another serious problem in the church where one brother was committing a terrible immorality with his stepmother, and sadly, the church as a whole did not lovingly confront him nor biblically restore him. And then we come to chapter 7, where Paul begins to answer a series of questions that the Corinthians had about marriage. Sadly, I am not covering everything Paul is saying in this chapter, but we do need to understand that it is in the middle of of all this teaching about marriage that Paul calls all believers to detach themselves from this world and focus entirely in the eternal kingdom of God. And this topic comes up as a result of Paul recognizing and describing from a human perspective that remaining single as a calling and as a gift from God is far better for the kingdom because without the responsibility of marriage or of a family, a single person could potentially devote and focus himself or herself more entirely for the purposes of God's kingdom. And Paul even goes so far as to say that he will prefer that everyone will be single like him, but he acknowledges that remaining Remaining single is a calling. Remaining single is a gift 
from God to some. And if a person is not called to singleness for the sake of the kingdom, that believer should seek to be merry in the Lord for the glory of God. But Paul then says to all of us, whether single or married, that we should not be divided in our interests. That we should not waste our time on the passing things of this world, but focus entirely on the lasting and eternal purposes of God's kingdom. Paul was so passionate about the kingdom that he did not fail to express his human point of view, desiring all believers to be like him so that all who are in Christ will be passionately focused on serving and going on mission, pursuing and investing themselves on the eternal treasures of the kingdom of heaven. So this passage of 1 Corinthians 7, 29 through 35 will teach you several ways on how you and I can learn to detach ourselves from this world and focus on the kingdom. So the first way that you do that is by recognizing how brief and short life on this earth is. Recognize how brief and short life on this earth is. Look at verse 29. Paul says, But this I say, brethren, that the time has been shortened. And I'm using New American Standard for those who may have been using ESB. Sometimes words might be different. But here the Bible shows us that life is brief. And there are many passages in the Bible that show us a reason, reminding us that life is now brief and it has been shortened because sin entered the world and cursed the earth. Moses said in Psalm 90 that the days of our age are 70 years or 80 years if we have strength. But that soon, soon, soon those years quickly pass and we fly away. Job said in Job 7, 7, that life is a breath. And James, in James 4, 14, remind us that life is just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, if our time in this life is short, if life is like a breath, and like a vapor that is here today and gone tomorrow, how are we going to use this short time that we have left on earth? Gospel hope, in the face of the brevity and fragility of life, God is calling you to dedicate the remaining days of your earthly life for the kingdom of God. Do not spend your life. Wasting your energies, your time and abilities, seeking the treasures of this world that will finally perish. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all the other things that people waste their time and lives pursuing. Jesus has promised that all of these things will be added unto you. And it may be that among us this morning, there are some who have not yet known Christ as their Lord and Savior. And if that's you this morning, you have to understand that time is also short for you too. And therefore, you should not keep postponing coming to Christ in repentance and faith. I plead with you not to receive God's grace in, in vain. Do not be content 
to be around believers. Do not be content to understand the gospel. If you know deep down in your heart you don't have a relationship with God through Christ. Maybe you have heard the gospel for many years. Maybe from your parents. Maybe from different pastors or churches you've attended. Or from dear friends who care for your soul. And they have prayed for you and have sown in you the word of God. Hoping that you may not hear in vain the wonders of the cross. But that this knowledge that you have received will lead you to humble yourself at the feet of the cross where Christ paid it all so that you can be saved. And this morning, we plead with you. If you have not come to Christ, remember that life is short. It will soon be over. You don't know if tomorrow you get a chance God is calling you right now. Today, He is inviting you to experience the wonderful gift of salvation by grace, the forgiveness of all your sins, the opportunity of being born again with the creation of a new heart together with the indwelling and seal of the Holy Spirit, transforming you so that you will love God above all things. Now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Tomorrow. Could be too late. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. We see in the first way this passage teaches us how we can detach ourselves from this world and focus entirely on the kingdom. And the first one was by recognizing how brief and short life on earth is. But let's look at the second way is by choosing to love your earthly relationships less than the eternal ones. Choose to love your earthly relationships less than the eternal one. If you go back to verse 29 with me, Paul says, But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who have wives should be as though they had none. And in verse 33, he said, But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And in verse 34, he stated, But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And with all of this, Paul is saying that even if we get married, which is a legitimate God-given gift and a calling from God to some, we cannot let marriage or family take the place of God and His kingdom in our lives. That is why he was saying that since time is short, those of us who have wife or husband should live as if we did not. And of course, Paul is not saying that we should abandon our responsibilities and roles as husbands and wives or as parents to dedicate all of our time for the church and the kingdom. No, because precisely the kingdom of God in our lives orders our priorities and teaches us that loving our wives and families are the same as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. But what Paul is teaching here is that neither marriage nor children should prevent us from passionately serving and working for the kingdom of God because Christ, gospel hope, Christ should always be first. Christ should always be the foremost above our husbands, wives, and children. Christ said it in Luke 14, 27, 26, when he says, If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sister. And yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. 
And by this, Christ was not saying that we should hate our earthly family, but that we should love them less and love Jesus more. Even in another occasion, Christ was teaching the crowds, and his mother Mary and his brothers came to him, and someone told him, saying in Luke 8.20, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. And what was Christ's reply? My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Even when Jesus was a child and lost in Jerusalem during the Passover feast, and Joseph and Mary were so concerned and could not find, find him, when they did find him, what did Jesus say to them in Luke 2, 49? Why is it that you're looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house, that I must be about my father's business? In other words, as Christians... We must make a commitment to give God the priority in our lives, to give Jesus Christ total preeminence, cultivating a relationship with God above all human relationships and seeking to do His will and giving glory as the ultimate goal of our existence and to be about the eternal business of our Heavenly Father above all the temporal occupations of this life. So the first and second ways that you can detach yourself from this world and focus on the kingdom are by recognizing how brief and short life on earth is. Secondly, choosing to love your earthly relationships less than the eternal ones. But this passage also teaches a third way, and it's by refusing to be attached to the temporal things of the world. Refuse to be attached to the temporal things of the world. If you read with me verses 29 again and on, it says, but this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on, if you jump with me to verse 30, those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice, rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. And I think in everything, you can either insist or desist. When you insist on something, you focus on it, occupying your time and seeking it with all your heart. But when you desist, you give up something. You let it go because you have become convinced in your heart that it's no more relevant. It's not important anymore. And Paul is saying that we as believers... We should give up attachment to the temporal things of this world that we need to let go and even repent of our idolatry for the material things of the world when we are seeking to enjoy and worship them as an end in themselves. So, brothers and sisters, this world is not our life. Our life is Christ. Our life is the kingdom of Christ. And although God indeed allows us to have possessions on this world, and He expects us to enjoy many things that He Himself created for us under the sun, we cannot let the temporal, the possessions, the amusements, the pleasures, or even the sorrows and joys of this earthly life to become an obstacle or a distraction that will prevent us from giving and spending ourselves completely for the kingdom. Christ said it in Matthew 19, 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake 
will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. So you and I must put a spiritual restraint to our Christian freedom that will lead us to a moderate use and enjoyment of the temporal Gospel hope, you cannot allow your Christian liberty to become a licentiousness that takes over or replaces the utmost priority of the eternal goals of God's kingdom in your life. Finally, there's a fourth and final way in which you detach yourself from this world and focus entirely on God's kingdom, and it's by pursuing intensely the eternal things of the kingdom of God. Pursue intensely the eternal things of the kingdom of God. If you look at me, if you look uh, with me on verses uh, 33 and on, it says, But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And then finally, verse 35, it says, And this I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is seemly and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. In these verses, Paul said that singles have less complications, less distractions to be occupied with the things of the Lord on how to please the Lord. But whether, whether we are single or we're married, Paul is telling us both. That in singleness or marriage, we should make it a priority to draw closer and closer to the Lord. And to be more occupied with the things of the Lord. And I love that phrase, and secure an undistracted devotion to the Lord. And for this, each believer has to make a choice. You have to make a choice. What are you going to pursue? Your heart cannot be divided. You need to choose whom you're going to worship, whom you're going to give it all to. Pursuing God's kingdom in your life is pursuing His glory and His will above everything and anything. It means that as a follower of Christ, with God's grace and with, and with the Spirit's power, you are going to pursue to please God above and beyond pleasing yourself or anyone else. And the beauty of it all, is that pursuing God's reign in your life is ultimately pursuing the greatest pleasure and joy. God is not an anti-pleasure God. God is the ultimate pleasure. So we need to be reminded of the words of the psalmist. In Him, in Him, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And that's why you should seek to grow in holiness by living a life of sexual purity apart from the immorality of the world. That's why you must also strive to live an honest life by loving truth and practicing truth in your relationships, in your studies, in your work ethic. You must also pursue to sanctify every relationship in your life with your husband or wife, with your parents and siblings, with any authority or any stranger so that you may, may develop peaceful and loving relationships with all people that will show them our King, will show Him our Lord and the grace and love that we have received through Him. But this also is a calling to become a member of a gospel-centered church 
and let yourself be shepherded and become an active member in your community of faith, serving and edifying others with the gifts and abilities God has given you. And of course, pursuing intensely the eternal things of the kingdom means that you will obey the Great Commission, that you will be sent to preach the gospel to take part and support the multiplication movement that aims at establishing church planting churches all throughout America and the world. And like Oscar Schindler, you will devote yourself to saving lives. So at the end, when you stand before Christ, so at the end, when you see your Savior face to face, you may not regret that you could have done more for the kingdom and you did not. That you could have saved one more soul and you did not. Gospel hope, this life will soon pass away. This world and the things of this world will be soon cast out and burned with fire. Why then pursue that which doesn't last? Why invest your strength, time, and money in that which soon will be destroyed. Oh, brothers and sisters, lift up your eyes and look on the fields where our Lord is calling us to work and invest ourselves, for they are wide and ready for harvest. Let us lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where neither thieves break in and steal. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Let's set together our minds on things above not on the things of the earth let us seek to build the kingdom of God and let us do as Schindler did let's pursue saving lives let's use every means possible to bring more people into the kingdom for only what we do for the kingdom will endure and remain forever don't waste your time on the temporal and on the earthly, use them as a means to invest in the spiritual and eternal. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for coming down and blessing this meeting. Oh, Lord, we need to respond to you. It's not our right to just understand and nod with our heads. The proper way is to bow down our hearts and say, Lord, here's my life. I don't want to control it. I just want to lay it down. I want to be so focused on you that everything else on this world is just a means to the end of your glory for the expansion of your kingdom. So use us, Lord. Use gospel hope. Thank you for giving this church a vision beyond this city. I pray that you will continue to bless their efforts and that from this group, many will be sent for the growth and expansion of the kingdom of God around the world. Oh Lord, thank you. Thank you for meeting with us today. In Jesus' name, amen.